Section 2 of The Trail of the Tramp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christian Lewis, Houston, Texas. Chapter 2 The Samaritans. Many years have passed since the day that Peoria Red and I were caught out of doors and entirely unprepared to face one of the worst blizzards that ever swept from the Arctic regions across the shelterless plains of the Dakotas. We had been hoboing a ride among a freight train and had been fired off by its crew at a lone siding about 50 miles east of Minot, North Dakota. In those early days, trains were few, and the chances that one of them would stop at this lone siding were so small that we decided to walk to the nearest water tank, which in those days of small engines were never more than 20 miles apart, and there catch another ride. It was a clear winter morning, and the sun's rays were vacillating among the snow that like a giant bedspread covered the landscape and which made walking among the hidden and uneven track a most wearisome task, the more so as neither of us had tasted a mouthful of food since the preceding day's dinner hour. While we were debating and wondering how and where we should rake up a mill amongst the few and widely scattered ranches, the wind veered to the north and commenced to blow with ever-increasing force. Soon heavy gray clouds followed in its wake and quickly overcast the sky and by two o'clock in the afternoon the rapidly growing fury of the wind commenced to drive sharp pointed particles of snow before it which as the storm increased to cyclonic proportions changed to masses of rotating darts which cut into the exposed portion of our illicad bodies and made breathing a serious problem we soon gave up the small hope of being able to reach a ranch house as to leave the railroad track would have spelled death, as we would have lost our way in a few minutes, as even now, while it was yet broad daylight, we could barely see a couple of telegraph poles ahead of us, and when night approached, the ever-increasing fury of the blizzard greatly reduced even this short distance. Staggering against the snowstorm, our one ardent prayer was that we would reach our only hope for succor, one of those railroad section houses which are located ten miles apart along the right-of-way of every railroad, and are the homes of a foreman and a crew of laborers who repair and keep the track under constant surveillance. Every moment the cold increased, and although we were spurred on to almost superhuman efforts by sheer desperation to thwart the fate we knew would be ours should we falter by the way, gradually our strength failed us, and although we tried to encourage each other to quicker progress, it took every vestige of our willpower to drag our benumbed feet from step to step against the howling, snow-laden hurricane. Peoria Red piteously pleaded with me to stop so he could recuperate, but well knowing the result, should we linger, I shouted my warnings to him above the screaming of the storm, and when he reeled and even sank into the snow, I pulled him back upon his feet and forced him to move on. Presently, I felt myself overtaken by the same drowsiness that had enthralled Peoria Red, and a queer numbness, which as it crept upwards from my feet, 
seemed to kill my ambition to battle for life against the death of the Arctic. Just as the last gleam of the red-blood sky which reflected the setting sun was swallowed up in the twirling masses of ice motes, Peoria Red sank beside the track, and although I tried everything to cause him to realize his danger, if he failed to follow me, he killed hel helplessly over into the snow, while a glassy stare in his half-shut eyes told me he was doomed. Then my own danger came home to me. Self-preservation is the first law of nature, and I promptly realized that to save my own life I must reach the section house, which I felt assured could not be many miles ahead of me, and where I would not find shelter for myself, but perhaps obtain assistance to rescue my pal before it would be too late. After taking one more farewell look at Peoria Red, I made a step towards the track, but fell heavily to the ground. During the minutes I had lingered to save the life of my partner, my feet seemed to have been turned into solid lead. I laughed aloud. As I was yet in full possession of my mental faculties, this seemed to me a cruel joke, and I tried to arise so I could by stamping revive the circulation of the blood. But every time I arose halfway, I tumbled helplessly back into the snow. The desire to live increased, and when I felt the numbness creep from my limbs into my body, I crawled alongside Peoria Red and snuggled closely against him, hoping that our mutual body warmth would stave off the crisis to the last possible moment. He was groaning and mustering the last vestige of control I yet had over my benumbed hands. I searched about in the darkness until I found his frozen fingers, and clasping them to my own, I placed my mouth close to his ear and pleaded with him to bid me farewell. He was too far gone to speak, but twice a faint pressure against my frozen fingers told me that he had understood me, and I responded in the same manner. These were our farewells to each other in this world, a fitting finish to the tragedies of our toilful and thankless lives. I sank back into the snow, and while I dreamily watched the snowflakes, weave our spotless shroud. I dozed away and dreamed of those glorious, carefree days when I was yet with the old folks at home, chasing the bright-hued butterflies in the warmth of the sunshine of youth and happiness. The next thing I recall was a burning sensation in my throat, which involuntarily caused me to open my eyes. I felt as if I had slept for such a long time that all my faculties had become useless for I could not, try as I might, utter a word or move a muscle, although to this day I vividly remember having heard a man, whom I could plainly see, as he poured a steaming liquid into my open mouth, exclaim, Thank God we are having better luck reviving this poor fellow than we had with the other one. Look, he has just opened his eyes, and listen, can you not hear him faintly groan? Then I wandered back into dreamland, into the most dangerous delirium, which lasted for several weeks, and during which I hung as if by a mere thread betwixt life and death. When I recovered my reason, I found that I was docile in the bunkhouse, that together with the section house and tool house, form a total of buildings among every railroad section reservation. The foreman and his family resided in the section house, a two-story building, 
the tool house was used for storing the hand car and the track tools the bunkhouse a small one-story building formed primarily the sleeping quarters and secondly the social center of the section crew whose five roughly dressed men were only permitted to enter the adjacent section house where they boarded at mill hours as the foreman's home was at all other times considered by them a sort of hollowed spot but the bunkhouse was their own as within it they slept at night in the wooden bunks which were nailed one adjoining the other all around the boarded walls while in the center a small stove in which a roaring fire was kept up made things comfortable for the inmates when they returned in the evenings after their day's work was done and all day every sunday their day of rest while the men were absent and i was yet unable to attend my needs a sweet-faced lady looked after my wants and gave me my medicine she was the foreman's wife and her ever cheering words with never a sign of weariness that i a sick and penniless harvester should have so unexpectedly become a charge upon her hands were most grateful to me i made inquiries among the laborers and ascertained from their answers that i was being cared for at the very section house that peoria red and i had striven to reach during the howling blizzard i tried to find out what had become of my partner but somehow they evaded my questions and it was many days before i managed by slow degrees to learn from them the facts concerning his absence during the height of the blizzard the foreman had ordered his crew out and upon their hand-car driven at a lively rate by the power of the wind they had inspected every switch and the car standing on sidings upon their section to assure themselves that everything was properly safeguarded while they were slowly pumping the hand-car homeward fighting against the force of the raging snowstorm they discovered us lying closely huddled together all but buried in the snow and beginning the eternal sleep of death they stopped and finding that we were yet faintly breathing they loaded us upon the hand car and brought us to the section reservation here by every means known to them they tried to revive the flickering sparks of life left in our frozen bodies in my case they were successful but peoria red poor fellow failed to respond to their heroic efforts the following day they buried him on a slight elevation diagonally across the track from the bunkhouse whereas whenever i looked in that direction i could plainly discern the white board cross that the whole-souled laborers had erected to mark his grave the section foreman's name was henry macdonald he was a kind-hearted yet stern man who demanded utmost obedience of those whom he commanded while at the same time he was a loving father to his family foreman macdonald had none but the friendliness of greetings for me and he spent every moment at the bunkhouse trying to cheer me in my hard luck whenever i felt ill at ease for having added such a heavy burden to his small income his quaint answer would always be joe what little we can do for you we would cheerfully do for any human being in distress we do not ask for your excuses as i feel that the almighty above us will take care of me and my family the pride of my humble life when i recovered some of my former strength i did the chores for the section foreman's wife who not only boarded the five members of her husband's crew but took proper care of her four healthy and ever hungry children 
The oldest one of them, a boy of sixteen, was named Donald. Then came a set of lively boy twins of fourteen, who had been baptized Joseph and James, but who were for convenience called Joe and Jim. These twins resembled each other so closely that only their parents and intimate acquaintances could tell them apart. They were inseparable companions and full of boyish mischief. The fourth child, the pet of everyone, was a beautiful, doll-like baby girl of three, whose name was Helen. There was one singular imperfection about these children that they had inherited from their father, which was a freak growth of an inch-wide streak of white hair which started from the center of their heads and continued downwards to the base of their skulls, and which, as it showed plainly in their black hair, made this strange birthmark all the more conspicuous. Otherwise, they were mentally, morally, and physically perfect, and while I was convalescing, I often stood by the window and watched them at play in the snow, and it caused me to shudder every time. I heard those youngsters shout with glee while they enjoyed the winter sports, when I thought of poor Peoria Red, whom the same merciless snow helped to murder. In the evenings after supper had been served, I could see from the bunkhouse how baby Helen in her sleeping room across the road in the section house knelt and humbly repeated her evening prayer, and then just before she was put to rest for the night, her father would kiss her good night, and as soon as he had left the room, her sweet-faced mother would smother her with kisses before she tucked her darling between the spotless sheets of her cradle. And many were the times that I turned away from this picture of perfect domestic happiness as tears were welling into my eyes, for I realized that I had missed that which is most sublime in all creation. A loving wife and devoted mother, a healthy baby and one's own home sweet home. End of section two. Recording by Kristen Lewis, Houston, Texas.